I'm Stephanie Evans, the principal here at Catholic Ladies College, and welcome to our podcast, Raising Resilience. This podcast series has been created to support you on your parenting and caregiver journey, with new episodes coming out every month. It will give you access to the best insights, information, and tips for navigating important issues. I'll now hand you over to your hosts, Liana, CLC's Head of Students, and Brett, CLC's School Counselor. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 2 of our podcast, Raising Resilience. I am one of your hosts, Liana, Head of Students at CLC. And I am Brad, the School Counselor, the other host. Well, we're back again, Brad. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm surviving. I'm surviving. That's what I can say at the moment. How about yourself? I'm surviving as we head into the school holidays. We'll be thriving. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's a very poetic point of what we're actually talking about today, especially coming into school holidays and then obviously preparing for term four. Absolutely. And our topic that we will be discussing today is anxiety. And I guess this is a bit of a um, big bad word, anxiety. It's something that a lot of us probably shy away from talking about because it might fuel a bit of anxiety just even discussing it. So hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll feel a little bit more equipped to manage your own anxiety, manage the anxiety of your family, and we'll be able to give you some strategies on how to have those conversations at home as well. Yeah, absolutely. Really kind of doing a bit of a deep dive on the impacts it actually does have on students, both in a psychological and physical way. And, you know, really being able to connect the dots between anxiety and sometimes what school refusal can eventuate as a result of that. And also really kind of looking, like Liana said, around the strategies to manage it, particularly, you know, mentioning the idea of buzzwords and social media and mental health language and really kind of doing a nice deep dive and encapsulating it all. All right, Brad, can you please define for us then? Because we established last week, you're the expert (laughs) in this field, but can you define, I guess, for our listeners, what is anxiety? The most simplistic definition I can probably give is that it's basically just a human response that we feel when we're under threat. When we look at the idea of our thoughts, our feelings, physical sensations, anxiety has a direct impact on all of that. So, you know, obviously when we think about the mental side of anxiety, it's, you know, where our brain switches offline and it really just gets into survival mode. Physically and physiologically, we look at the idea of sweaty palms, racing heart. So there are very kind of clear cut symptoms in a physical sense. And then I suppose that's where that part where it comes into play around fight, flight or freeze. You know, mm, we hear yeah. that talked about a lot, especially within the context of um, the psychology of anxiety. Absolutely. And really kind of understand the nature of how debilitating it actually can mm. be both physically, emotionally and psychologically for people. And we know that anxiety can be really debilitating, but it's also something that people live with every single day. And some people have it more under control than others. But as you said, it can be really overwhelming and literally take over where you get that stress response is activated and you go into flight or fight or even freeze or fawn. And understanding that anxiety is a normal human response to stressful situations, but it can be abnormal in the sense where if it it does feel like it's taking over your life and you don't know how to cope, where do you go and what do you do? That's an important thing to consider because, you know, there are healthy levels of anxiety and stress. You know, Mm -hmm. it goes without saying, we talk about the concept of eustress, which is stress that is good for the body. 
And, you know, when you think about a lot of the students going through that experience of whether it be doing an assessment or a task where there is preparation required, it is normal to feel some level of anxiety around the prospect of having to do that. So ultimately, you know, recognizing that there are healthy realms of anxiety, but to also acknowledge that when it becomes a prolonged, persistent and quite intense experience, then we are start stepping into the outliers of normal anxiety experience. So there's a really kind of important focus on being able to reflect on your own anxiety experience and to recognize, is this in the, within the realm of healthy or am I starting to step outside of that? According to the ABS, anxiety is the most common type of disorder affecting one in six Australians, which is about 17% of the population. It is an astronomical number. I know that um, Beyond Blue have similar statistics in that one in 10 young people aged between 12 and 17 years old will self-harm. One in 13 will seriously consider a suicide attempt and one in 40 will attempt it. So the reason I bring that up is that a lot of unaddressed anxiety, when culminating with a whole bunch of other factors, has the potential to potentially go down that path. So it's important to be able to kind of destigmatize those conversations. Definitely. And realize that talking about self-harm, talking about the intensity of our anxiety experience and even suicide, you know, this is something that needs to become a normal conversation and yes. we start to feel more comfortable having these types of conversations. And look, they're not easy. And if you're not, you know, adequately trained in having those conversations, of course, you want to shy away from it and don't want to poke the bear, so to speak. But normalizing it and as you said, actually naming what you're feeling is one of the strategies that we learn when we are supporting young people, particularly in mental health mm -hmm. training, that naming it and asking them directly, how are they feeling? What are they feeling? What are they likely to do? Is actually more effective than not talking about it at all. Yeah. And if you want more tips and tricks, please go have a listen to our first episode. <laughs> That's always a little plus. Absolutely. Nice I don't want to speak on parents' behalf, but I feel as an educator, I have a privileged position of being able to see what's impacting young people mm -hmm. and what's causing a lot of anxiety. I would say that the biggest discrepancy that maybe parents feel is that there's a, a big disconnect in the way that their children are growing up in a world that's vastly different to the world that they grew up in. I would say that what is contributing to really high anxiety levels is the complete shift of how the world has progressed and this emphasis and focus that social media plays in everybody's life. It's not just young people, it is everybody. And the way that it is cultivating this perfect world and this emphasis that people need to consistently compare themselves because what they see on social media in their eyes is real and it's the only thing that exists. Tell me, Liana, you see a lot of students, obviously, within your role. Yep. So I'm just wondering what typically do you see in terms of the anxiety and the heightened experience of yep. it, yep. Uh, what the physical kind of presentations look like? Yeah. For me, I notice straight away if someone is suffering with a bit of anxiety or a lot of anxiety, if they're constantly avoiding or withdrawing eye contact, mm -hmm. if they're avoiding um, what I've asked them to do in class, if they're avoiding talking to their friends, if they appear to be a little bit spaced out. Going to the toilet frequently is another sign of anxiety. Yep. Anxiety can have literal physical symptoms, but it's also a way for them to just remove themselves from that yeah. situation. Crying, fidgeting, feeling sick in the stomach. Yeah. 
feeling unwell or feeling like they can't breathe. That's yeah. quite common. And I've actually seen that probably more recently where there's this concern that something's happening to my body and I don't know what's happening and it's anxiety and they're thinking that it's something else sinister. And as we know as well, anxiety can present itself in other disorders that we see in schools. So there's panic or social phobia, social isolation. Uh, Students might be displaying signs of OCD or they may be experiencing PTSD as well. There's also varying types of anxiety and different signs. And I think it's really kind of imperative to mention the fact that these physical and, you know, psychological symptoms can impact a lot of students in ways that they don't think would be associated with their own anxieties. Absolutely, So, you know, I think one of the main and most important to actually bring up is around the sense of not eating. You know, part of the anxieties experience is the reduced appetite and a potentially a reduction in self-care. For parents at home who might be thinking, well, how do I know if my child is experiencing anxiety? A really telltale sign of that is, yeah, as you said, Brad, a reduction in self-care. So not showering, not washing their hair, not changing out of their clothes or staying in the same clothes because it feels comfortable and there's a sense of control there. But also, as you said earlier, restricting and withholding from eating is um, a clear sign that there is something else going on. And so like as parents, I suppose, you know, one of the most important things we can do is obviously just watch, being really observant to particular behaviours around food and what the relationship to food looks like. Are they skipping out on meals when they're heightened and stressed? What does their food intake look like? You know, it's we always come back to the fundamentals of care, which is, you know, effectively, are they sleeping? Are they eating? Are they getting enough liquid? So it's really about prioritizing the fundamentals, you know, because we can correct and work on the idea of reinforcing new helpful thinking patterns. But if someone is unable to regulate the way their body is working or doesn't have the energy because they haven't eaten or had any water, then obviously it makes the job a lot harder to work through. So, Liana, I was just wondering, not me as a parent, but I'm just wondering in terms of parents, what do you think that the telltale signs are of when not to worry and when it's just kind of a teenager's experience around the concept of anxiety? Yeah, great question. Because parents, this is their biggest dilemma, I think, of knowing when to react and respond and when they need to sort of escalate the worry and the concern. I think as a parent, it's important to remember and it's okay to know that you don't need to react immediately. A parent's instinct is to protect their children and to step in and try to fix everything. But it's also important to just sit back and observe. So thinking about what we said before about what are some of the signs, are you noticing if your child is having dinner? Are they eating all of their dinner? Now, if it's a Monday, come home from school, they're a bit tired and they don't finish their dinner, that's okay. But if it's a pattern of behaviour that's continuing on, then that's a sign for you that you need to ask some questions or to intervene. If you're noticing that they haven't showered in three or four days or they haven't brushed their teeth or you're getting calls from the school that, you know, they're going to sick bay or they're texting you frequently during the day, if that's happening on a continual basis, then that's a sign that you need to be concerned. Yeah. As we said, anxiety presents itself every single day in different situations. Not everyone is going to be anxious. If your child is worried about a test coming up, that's so normal. 
We want them to be worried. It shows that they care. But if it's a continuous pattern, then that's a sign, okay, let's get down to the root of why you're feeling so stressed. Is there something else going on? And it's also important, I think, when intervening for parents to ask questions that are non-judgmental. So instead of asking, what's wrong with you? Why haven't you done this? It's been a little bit accusatory and you might find that your child completely retreats and backs off and doesn't want to disclose or go into what's happening. So asking questions that are not what's wrong with you, but what's happened? I'm noticing this. How can I help? What do you need from me? Yeah, absolutely. Puts them in a space where they feel centered and safe yeah. to be able to open up and talk about what's happening. I think you've touched a really important part here in terms of grounding the child. You know, a lot of the times when I've worked with a lot of the students who have had panic attacks or feeling extremely heightened, then a lot of the times I will just work on bringing them back to a present moment. And we have a lot of kids that talk about how difficult anxiety is to deal with. And one of the things that I always kind of come back to is the more you resist, the more it persists. I'm going to give you a really stupid analogy about a dog here. But I assure you, it's relevant to what we're talking about. All right, we'll about. see, Brad. <laughs> so, you know, I always have this conversation with a lot of the students who deal with anxiety. And, you know, I said, do you have a pet? Yes. If so, is it a dog? And then they're like, yes, it is. And I said, what happens if your dog is scraping on your door and it's mm. bucketing down rain outside? I said, what do you normally do? And I usually get the answer of, oh, well, we let it in. I'm like, oh, okay. The dog's annoying me, so exactly. let it in. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put up with that. Um, so once the dog's in, I always ask, oh, well, what would you do with the dog then? They're like, yeah. oh, well, we'll dry it and settle it down. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, that seems like Perfect. common sense. Yeah. And then what does the dog typically do once you've done that? And most people will say it falls asleep. Yeah. And I'm like, let's trace it now back to the anxiety reference. And it's the same principle with anxiety. We can leave it scratching at the door. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. Sometimes yep. it might actually persist and get louder. Yeah. And we will acknowledge it a hell of a lot more. However, once we let it in, it's a space of acknowledgement. Yes. Let, let's understand yes. and normalize that it's okay that we're experiencing the anxiety, but we need to address it. That's right. We need to figure it out. That's right. A really good image for parents perhaps is to think about getting in the pit. So when your child is coming to you with a problem yeah. or they're ready to talk about it, getting down on their level and getting in the trenches and saying, I hear you, I see you, that must be really hard, that must be really confusing, this must be so stressful for you. That validation suggests to your child that you're there, you see them mm. and you're ready to listen. Yeah. You're not ready to judge and you're not ready to intervene and tell them what's wrong with what they're feeling. And I think we undervalue the sense of a child feeling heard. Absolutely. It's massive. Absolutely. So based on what I've spoken about with my favourite dog reference, <laughs> how could you apply that within the context of a parent potentially understanding that? I think for as parents, our natural instinct is to say to your child when they're coming to you with a dilemma or with a concern, the natural response is to say, it's fine, don't worry, because you want to dispel their concerns, you want to bring them back to a sense of safety and, and ground them. Yeah. That message that that's sending is that 
you might not care or you're dismissing what they're feeling. So think about it like this. As adults, we've had a range of experiences that have shaped us. We've got perspectives on life because we've been through big things. And we probably know that it is going to be fine and not to worry because we've been there. Or if we haven't been there, we know that in the end, it'll be okay. But for a young person, they don't know that yet. For them, their world is consumed by constant pressure and uncertainty and burdens of of emotions. Especially in today's world. Absolutely. What they need in that moment is safety to try and curb that fear. So think about a time maybe when you've gone to a friend or a close family or your partner or a parent and you've talked to them about a really significant fear that you have. It might be a fear about a job. It might be financial security. It might be a time in your life where you thought that you possibly couldn't have a family or that you weren't going to find a partner. A really big consuming life problem and concern. If your friend or trusted person that you're sharing this with said to you, don't worry, it'll be fine. Are you actually going to do that? No. No. You're going to think that your friend hasn't listened to you and that they don't actually care. in one ear or out the other. I'm coming to you saying that I think I'm going to lose my job. And you're saying, it's fine, don't worry about it. You'll get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I will get through it. But but I don't need to hear that right now. Let me work through this. Absolutely. Let me feel my feelings. Yeah. That's what our young people need. Yeah. When your child is coming to you saying, I'm really stressed about this assessment task, I feel like I'm dumb, I feel like I can't do this, and you say, it's fine, don't worry. Yeah, you're not dumb. Like no one's listening to any common sense in that time. absolutely not because the rational brain is- Offline. Yeah, Mm. and our emotional brain is being triggered and that's sending all the signals to our body that there's Worst case scenario, feeding exactly what we spoke about at the start. Absolutely. So for a young person, their problem might not be as on a larger scale as what's something that you have mm-hmm. experienced, but for them at that point in their life, it is yeah. because they don't have that life perspective and experience that we have. Correct. And if you feel like you don't understand a dilemma or a problem, mm-hmm. just try to remember a time in your life when you were going through something really significant. Yeah. What was your brain telling you? What was your body telling you? What were your emotions telling you? And Try to remember that for another person, that's what they're feeling and experiencing. So, Brad, can you tell our parents where they can go to access some support to navigate anxiety with their children or to even support themselves and how their child can access support here at school? There's obviously some really famous kind of, I suppose, support networks where you have the Black Dog Institute, you have Beyond Blue, where they have a lot of really helpful information around anxiety and fact sheets that people can obviously use for themselves. There's also the Centre for Clinical Interventions, which, you know, there are a lot of parent resources. And if you just need kind of a really kind of simplistic way of understanding anxiety and the effects and what you can do, that's a really, really helpful space to look at as well. Obviously, there are organizations like Headspace as well. So again, that is another really important resource. Yeah, fantastic. But in terms of school, best way I would recommend for parents to organize for their child to see a counselor or the psychologist would be to contact the year level team leader and tell them their concerns, the year-level team leader will then pass on the referral on to myself or one of the other team members, and then we can obviously work to get that all started. If the student is suffering from really intense, prolonged anxiety, my suggestion would be to go to a GP 
and use that as a starting point. And then at the school, we can work to reinforce what message comes out of that appointment. But if it's general school anxiety or just the fundamentals of a little bit of worry, then absolutely we can work with that at the school. We have a wonderful team of staff here at CLC. Thanks, Leanna. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problems. <laughs> As I was saying, uh, we've got a wonderful team of staff here at CLC who are trained in um, accidental counsellor conversations um, and mental health first aid. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a counsellor that's supporting yes. your young person. It can be your child's homeroom teacher, subject teacher, or the year-level team leader who is equipped with ways to have these conversations and navigate these feelings of anxiety. So, Brad, thank you for this conversation around the big bad word of anxiety no, today. No, thank you. It's been wonderful uh, sitting down and being able to have a good chat again. Absolutely. So, if you want more information, you can head to the links in our show notes and we will be back in your ears very soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raising Resilience with Catholic Ladies College. If you enjoyed this episode, hit follow on your podcast player to receive future episodes. Let us know what you think by leaving a review. And just a reminder, if you need additional support for yourself or your child, you can contact our wellbeing team here at CLC, your child's homeroom teacher or the year level team leader.